In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So before we get into this specific passage of the Gospel that we just read, I want to take a trip all the way back to the beginning of creation. Okay? So, if you remember, whenever God placed Adam in paradise, He brought all the animals to Him so He can name them. Right? So, there's a profound meaning in this event and why He had Adam name all of creation. In one sense, it's for Him to exercise His authority as God's image and likeness, who is the King of creation, and to give animals all of their names is to implement your superiority and your authority over whatever it is that you're naming. But in another sense, he's naming all of the animals to reveal a hidden mystery about creation. Okay, so I'll give you a few examples of some of the animals that he names and then it'll come together. All right? So for example, when he went to name the dog, he called the dog Caleb. Okay, and in Hebrew, that word means he who has an emphatic heart. He who has an emphatic heart. So, if anybody has a dog, you know that they're very sweet. They're, they're very compassionate. They're very sensitive. And it's like this creature reminded Adam of God's compassion and God's care, his gentleness, and so on. Right? And so, in looking at this creature, Adam was immediately mindful of this quality in God. And so the dog was a reflection of what he understood about God. And that's why he gave him this name to reflect God, who, who's basically the essence of this quality that he sees in this creature. Okay, for example, when he went to name the gazelle, he called it Tabitha. That name means he who created beauty. Right, so you can imagine how graceful a gazelle just walks through a field and in a sense, whenever he saw that, it reminded him of God's beauty, right? And in a prophetic sense, when he went to name the sheep or the lamb, he called it Talitha, okay? And that name literally means he who covers me. And we know that Christ is the Lamb of God who covered us from our sins and our shame, right? So this not only reminded him of a reality in the nature of God, but even revealed a hidden mystery in a prophetic sense. Right? So we can go on and on and on to talk about all of the examples in creation, but what I want to say is that the whole natural world reminded man of God. Okay? So the whole world, all the physical material world, was a reminder of God's glory. It prompted man to thank God for his magnificence, his creativity, and his brilliance. Okay? So, the natural world was designed to prompt this disposition that's naturally engraved in us. Because we are naturally wired to appreciate God. We're naturally wired to seek Him, to fix our eyes on Him. We're naturally wired to thank Him and admire Him and appreciate the beauty of His creation. Okay, so I want to share with you some thoughts from the book For the Life of the World by Father Alexander Schmemann. That will be a primary resource throughout our thoughts today. So he says, 
in reflecting on what Adam did in paradise and naming all of the animals, he says, to name a thing is to manifest the meaning and value God gave it. To know it as coming from God and to know its place and function within the cosmos created by God. To name a thing is to bless God for it and in it. The only natural reaction of man to whom God gave this blessed and sanctified world is to bless God in return, to thank Him, to see the world as God sees it and in this act of gratitude and adoration to know, name and possess the world. How beautiful is that? So that this whole design was intended to foster this disposition that's naturally instilled within our nature. This disposition that we have to glorify God and to thank God. Okay, in every part of creation, all of existence was designed to cultivate this relationship, to, to foster this communion with God. So everything, everything around us was designed to add to our connection with God. The whole world was basically like a link for man between him and God. A little later, Father Alexander says, All that exists is God's gift to man. And it all exists to make God known to man, to make man's life communion with God. It is divine love made food. Okay? It is divine love made food, made life for man. God blesses everything He creates, and in biblical language, this means that He makes all creation the sign and means of His presence and wisdom, love and revelation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So the whole world was basically like divine food for man. It was there for us to feed on it, like a source of sustenance for us. And in doing that, in feeding on the world, reflecting on the world, gazing upon its beauty and majesty, we increased in our appreciation for God and we're prompted to thank God, we're prompted to glorify God. Okay? That means our whole life is sacramental in that sense. Okay? So the whole world served that purpose and allowed us to fulfill our destiny, which is to enjoy that communion with God. Okay? So, if you think about our nature and how we're created and wired to live in this way, we're wired with this desire. And it, it naturally directs us towards God and it increases our communion with Him the more we allow it to, to direct our life. Father Alexander says, Man is a hungry being, but he is hungry for God. Man is a hungry being, but he is hungry for God. Behind all the hunger of our life is God. All desire is finally a desire for Him. Right? In a sense, this is what satisfies us. That's why St. Augustine says, You have created us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in You. So this hunger is naturally a part of us. Okay? And not just in a spiritual sense, but even in a physical sense as well. Right? And we'll get to how God even fulfills our soul through this physical hunger that He implanted in us as well, which ultimately culminates in the Eucharist. Okay, but for now, we have to recognize that life as a whole 
is created to cultivate this communion with God. The way that we are wired intrinsically, our own nature, this proclivity to admire God and to thank God and this hunger that we have for God and the external world, the material world around us that constantly prompts us to appreciate God, to admire God, to thank God, to glorify God. So everything within and without, the interior and the exterior, was designed to cultivate this communion with God. Okay, so, so if you think of this process, this whole relationship, this communion that we're intended to live, it's essentially a matter of receiving an offering. Okay, so communion with God means to receive this food from Him and to offer Him gratitude for it. Okay, it's a process of receiving an offering, receiving an offering. And this was the natural condition of our relationship with God. Our relationship was a relationship of receiving an offering. That's, in essence, what it was all about. Okay, so, what does it mean to say we're intended to live in this process of receiving an offering? It means that man is created to live as a priest. Okay? At the heart of this, it means that we are to live a priestly life. Okay? Father Alexander Shmemen says, Man was to be a priest of a Eucharist. Offering the world to God, and in this offering he was to receive the gift of life. Okay? So, to be a priest is to receive this food from God, and in return, we offer our gratitude. And in offering our gratitude, we also receive life, we receive salvation. So this whole relationship was a priestly sort of relationship. And that's what it means to live a Eucharistic life. He says man is to be a priest of a Eucharist. Okay, and so that word means to give thanks. Evcharisteia. It's like the word thank you. If you go to Greece, it's one of the first words you'll learn. Evcharisto means thank you. Okay, so that word, Eucharist, Evcharisteia, means that we are coming to give thanks. We are coming to fulfill our priestly role. Right, so just as we receive the, the beauty of this world and all that God has to offer us, all of the blessings in our life, all of the food that He has to give us, we thank Him for it. And in thanking Him, we also receive further more. Okay? But we know that that's not how we live today. <laughs> Like what I'm describing to you is the ideal. What I'm describing to you is the way we are created and the way we are intended to live. But unfortunately, we don't live as priests. Why so? Why don't we live as priests? Because once we fell, we lost this communion with God. Once we fell, this relationship was distorted. Right? This priestly communion fell apart. Okay? And the fall really comes down to this. A lot of times we reduce the fall to just a matter of disobedience. But what happened in the fall is that we lost this Eucharistic life. That's what the fall was all about. Not just that we broke the law, but we forfeited this, this honor that God gave us to live as priests in this world. So Father Alexander says, in our perspective, the original sin is not primarily that man has disobeyed God. The sin is that he ceased to be hungry for him and for him alone. 
He ceased to see his whole life depending on the whole world as a sacrament of communion with God. The only real fall of man is his non-Eucharistic life, a non-Eucharistic world. The fall is not that he preferred the world to God and distorted the balance between the spiritual and material, but that he made the world material, whereas he was to have transformed it into life in God, filled with meaning and spirit. So the problem wasn't just that he looked at the world in a materialistic sense, because that's fine, there's no problem there. As a matter of fact, that's essentially the nature of the world. But it was to prompt him towards God. And in recognizing God's presence in the world, his fingerprints in all of creation, and in doing so honoring God, man honored creation for itself. Right? And so we fell into worshipping the world and its idols and its lusts and its sins. Okay? That was the real essence of our fall. Okay, so what was the solution? The solution was for God to restore what was lost by assuming our humanity and living this Eucharistic life that man was intended to live. So he restored this priestly relationship that was inherent in man but lost through the fall. Okay? In another place, Father Alexander says, we know that we've lost this Eucharistic life and finally we know that in Christ, the new Adam, the perfect man, this Eucharistic life was restored to man. For he himself was the perfect Eucharist. He himself was the perfect Eucharist. He offered himself in total obedience, love and thanksgiving to God. God was his very life. And he gave this perfect and Eucharistic life to us. Okay, so he lived this life and then translated it to us. In him, God became our life. In him alone, all that God has given man was fulfilled and brought back to heaven. He alone is the perfect Eucharistic being. He is the Eucharist of the world. In and through this Eucharist, the whole creation becomes what it always was to be and yet failed to be. So in Christ, this Eucharistic life is restored. This natural order in which we live as creatures that receive and offer, receive and offer. We receive the blessings in this world and offer it to God in gratitude. And in doing so, He furthermore blesses us with His salvation and His life. Okay? Now, why am I talking to you about all of this? Like, what does this have to do with the passage that we read today. If you think about what we read in the gospel, Christ feeds the multitude, right? And it's not just about giving them some loaves of bread and some fish. But in doing so, He foreshadows the real food that He gives to humanity, which is His own flesh. That's why in John 6, in the very same chapter, a little later he goes on to talk about how he himself is the bread of life. So this passage that we read today is all about Christ giving us himself as the Eucharist. This passage, the feeding of the multitude, is a Eucharistic event. Not just that he gives people food for their bodies, but he gives people food for their souls. Right? He goes to feed the multitude with the bread of life, which is himself. 
And that's the food that man was intended to feed on. Okay, that was the source of our life. Father Alexander says, the new food of the new life which we receive from God in His kingdom is Christ Himself. He is our bread. Because from the very beginning, all our hunger was a hunger for Him. And all our bread was but a symbol of Him. A symbol that had to become a reality. So remember how we forfeited this access in paradise, this access to the living bread, the tree of life, which is Christ Himself. So in giving the people this bread, Christ is restoring humanity's access to what we lost in paradise. Okay? And of course, we know that we have this bread on the altar. Right? That's what the Eucharist is all about. We are reinstated into paradise. The access to the tree of life is brought back to us. That's what this passage is all about. Okay? Why do we actually read this passage today though? Why on this Sunday? Why this Eucharistic passage out of all Sundays in the year? Today is actually the fifth Sunday of Tub. Okay? And typically we have four Sundays in the month. Right? But every once in a while, we have an extra Sunday. We have an extra day. So it's as if we have an extra blessing. We have something beyond what we expect. And so God is reminding us that salvation is a gift. It's an extra provision. Not that we deserve an extra week, but God is giving that to us. So it reminds us that salvation is a free gift. Like you have an extra week, a week that you don't deserve. And so God reminds us that this is exactly what salvation is all about. It's a gift that you don't deserve. You have something extra. And that's precisely what grace is all about. That word, if kharisteya, yes, it means to give thanks. But at the very root of it, it means grace. If kharisteya. Right? If is good. That's like when we say if angelion, good news, angelion is news, and if means good. So if, meaning good, charis is grace. So not only is the Eucharist grace, but it's the good grace. Like, out of all graces, it's the best grace there is. Okay, so that's what we receive in this week. And God reminds us that just as you have this extra week, just as you have another blessing that you didn't earn and you certainly don't deserve, the Eucharist is at the altar as a free gift for all of us. This reminds us that this week is all about God's love for humanity. It reminds us that God gives us beyond our needs. He gives us more than we can imagine. It's an undeserving love. Father Alexander Shmemen says, the content of Christ's Eucharist is love. That's the content of His Eucharist. You know like when you open up a package and you look to see what's inside of it? If you were to look to see what's inside the Eucharist, inside the heart of Christ, you'll find nothing but love. And that's what's offered to us today. A free gift of love. And so when man 
realizes this gift, he can't help but appreciate it and thank God for it. And so that priestly relationship is restored in Christ. Right? And this is precisely what compels us to live a Eucharistic life. It's what compels us to join Christ in offering our gratitude, in offering our life as a sacrifice, just as Christ offered His life as a sacrifice to the Father. So in recognizing the love that's present on the altar, this Eucharistic life is restored to humanity because we can't help but thank God and offer our life in return to God. Father Alexander says, when man stands before the throne of God, when he's fulfilled all that God has given him to fulfill, when all sins are forgiven, all joy restored, then there's nothing else for him to do but to give thanks. Eucharist, thanksgiving, is the state of perfect man. Eucharist, thanksgiving, is the life of a paradise. Eucharist, thanksgiving, is the only full and real response of man to God's creation, redemption, and gift of heaven. And read that last part. It's the only full and real response of man to God's creation. There's no other response required of us but to offer our gratitude. That's it. God doesn't ask for much. But that's what life is all about. That's the very core of our life, to live this Eucharistic life so that we can recognize His love and offer our life to Him just as He offered His life to the Father And in doing so, we receive more than we can imagine. We receive salvation. We receive eternal life. And it happens simply by offering our gratitude. Simply by coming here every liturgy and telling God, Here I am. My time, my energy, my attention, all of my worries, all of my concerns, all of my anxieties, offering them to you. Leaving them at your feet. And just thanking you for the life that you've given me. Thanking you for the salvation that I have. Thanking you for your love. Thanking you for going to seek after the lost sheep. Even though you don't need anything from me. Thanking you for your unconditional love, the grace that I don't deserve. And so when we reflect on His love, we can't help but come to offer our life as well. We can't help but offer our life in gratitude. Think about why the monks in the monasteries rise at 4 a.m. for praises and to pray the liturgy every morning. Why do they go through all of that effort? Why sacrifice their sleep and their energy to do that? Why not just pray at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m.? Why did someone like St. Pope Krolos pray a liturgy every single day. Barely getting any sleep, working all day and night, and then at four in the morning, he's praying liturgy. Why? Because people that were in love with God couldn't help but thank Him. They were in love. Someone like St. Pope Krolos was truly in love. And because he was in love, his natural response was to attend liturgy 
to experience the Eucharist and to thank God. Think of St. John the Evangelist. Every time he would see the angel and his vision and revelation, he was amazed by the splendor of this figure and a couple of times he mistakes this figure for Christ himself, but he naturally just falls on his face. He prostrates. He bows down. It's like he can't help but prostrate himself in front of this figure. And both times, the angel tells him, dude, just calm down. It's, it's just me. I'm an angel. <laughs> I'm not God. You don't have to do that. Come back up. But for St. John, his natural response in the glory of God's presence, at least as he thought it was, was to fall down and worship, was to fall down and thank him. This is the natural response that we ought to have whenever we recognize God's love and His sacrifice in the Eucharist. Of course, this requires a real sacrifice. Of course, this requires that we offer our time and our energy. We offer a part of our sleep that we want to have on Sunday mornings. It requires a real sacrifice to live this Eucharistic life, and not just in the liturgy, but to walk through life thankful. Because the liturgy extends beyond what we experience here in these walls. And so that Eucharistic life is a life of sacrifice. It's hard. It's a difficult life. But it's only difficult when we try to do it on our own. It's only difficult when we try to use our own effort. If you think of how the saints lived this life. They almost did this effortlessly. And that's what always blows me away. Now I've used this example a million times and I can't help but share it again. The most grateful people in the world are the people that live in poor countries. I've spoken to you countless times about the people in Kenya and how they have absolutely nothing. But I promise you, you won't find more grateful people in the world but in these poor villages. And trust me, it's not like they have a lot. As a matter of fact, they don't even have an average amount. They have nothing. Like, I wish some of us can go and attend a liturgy in Kenya and to see the life and the joy that exists in those liturgies. And those people have absolutely nothing. They don't even have cars to get them to the church. They barely even have decent sandals. They have frail sandals and they're walking for hours. It's blistering cold in the beginning of the day and burning hot at noontime. And they have to start walking hours before the liturgy starts. And sometimes they don't even know if a priest is going to be there because every church doesn't have a priest allocated to it. But they'll wake up before the sun comes up, walk for two or three hours, and they're there alive. They're there full of joy. They're there jumping up and down, offering their whole life to God. And it seems effortless. And I'm like, what is going on? These people are on some drugs or something. <laughs> but it's because they're consumed by God's love. 
Father Alexander says, we know that life is Eucharist, a movement of love and adoration toward God. It's a movement of love and adoration toward God. And yes, to be sure, it is a sacrifice. But sacrifice is the most natural act of man, the very essence of his life. Man is a sacrificial being because he finds his life in the act of love. He finds his life in the act of love. So where do you find your life? In loving others, in loving God. He finds his life in the act of love. And love is sacrificial. It puts the value, the very meaning of life in the other and gives life to the other. And in this giving, in this sacrifice, finds the meaning and joy of life. We have so much here. And yet, so many of us are walking through life without real purpose, without real meaning. And we have the highest stress rates. We have the highest anxiety rates. We have the highest depression rates. And you wonder why. It's not just because we're lacking some materials. It's because we're not living this life of gratitude, this life of sacrifice, this life of love, in which we find the core of our salvation. St. Ephraim the Syrian says, How can your servant be silent, O Master, after having tasted the great sweetness of your love and grace? That's why our level of commitment to the liturgy, to the Eucharist, is directly related to our level of gratitude. When we taste the sweetness of His love, how can we stay silent? It's impossible. Think of those cars that you pull back, and as you wind them back, they have like more recoil in the wheels, and then you let them go, and then they just shoot forward. You know what I'm talking about, those little toys? I think we've all played with those toys before. Okay? This is the essence of our nature when it's fueled with love. You pour more love into the heart of man, all you're doing is winding him back like this car. You keep winding him back, what happens? It's going to energize that heart. You're going to energize that car until it's filled with so much love and you let that car go, it just shoots forward. It shoots forward with love. It shoots forward with gratitude. It shoots forward with praise. Like the person who's in love with God walks into church shouting praise at the top of his lungs. I think that's what we have to ask ourselves. Whether we're winding back our hearts with love. That's the real question. Don't ask yourself if you're lacking anything else but love. That's the real question here. That we have to all truly ask ourselves with honesty. Am I truly in love with God? Truly, truly, truly in love. And if that love is truly there, the Eucharistic life naturally flows. May God fill our hearts with His love that we may praise Him, glorify Him, and thank Him. Unto Him is to all glory forever. Amen.